Welcome back to another edition of the Between the Mics podcast. I'm one half of your team, Ty Ferguson. I'm the other half, Austin Smith. And we're coming to you tonight to break down another big win by the Dogs over the UAB Blazers this past Saturday and to preview this upcoming Saturday's matchup. Um, first SEC game at home under the lights in Sanford Stadium against the South Carolina Gamecocks. Um, so let's just dive right into the UAB recap. Yeah, so I mean, it was a pretty dominant performance uh, from the get go uh, for Georgia. We scored on the second play of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, offense didn't really let up from there, had explosive plays all day. Yeah. Uh, everybody, everybody on offense looked great. Stetson uh, looked good, uh, taking over for JT for the weekend. Yeah. Uh, Jermaine was great. Uh, Brock Bowers had an amazing day. Uh, we scored 21 points in the first quarter, 14 in the second, 14 in the third, 7 in the fourth. Uh, so, didn't really let up all that much, even when the second stringers came in. Yeah. Um, their only score of the day, their seven points, uh, came from a pick six. So, still through two games of the season, our defense mm-hmm. hasn't allowed a single offensive touchdown. Mm-hmm. And once again, our defense was dominant, but in a slightly different way than they were in the first week. Uh, first week, it was our dominant rush defense that propelled us to a win, despite we did also have an amazing pass rush. But uh, this week, we only allowed UAB 47 passing yards total, yeah. uh, 173 on the day. Uh, their leading receiver coming into the match, Shropshire, who was a huge steep threat, didn't even register a single reception. Yeah. So, dominant all around. Yeah, absolutely. I loved um, another week of just outstanding defense by the Dogs. Um, and like you said, doing it in a different fashion. Um, they honestly were able to get some explosive runs. I mean, 15 yards here, 10 yards here against us that, I mean, Kirby touched on it. It's like, it's stuff that it frustrated him. I mean, we were up 56 to seven and he was on the sideline upset because we were giving up so many rushing yards. But you also said it that the pass defense was better. We held their best receiver to no catches, three interceptions on the day. Um, one, we returned for a touchdown late in the game. Um, Lewis Seen, big interception in the middle of the field off of a great pass rush, forcing a bad throw. And then, I mean, probably the highlight of the day, the Keeley Ringo um, pass interception. Amazing Amazing. I mean, he had his eyes on the ball from the very beginning, turned his head, found the ball, made a play on the ball. And, I mean, that's the stuff that we expect to see from Keeley. We've been hyping him up week after week on this podcast, talking about how excited we are to get to see him play after he had to set out last all, all last season with a torn labrum. Um, so it's very encouraging to see. Um, you also touched on it, the explosive plays on offense. We went the first game against Clemson, albeit because they had an amazing defense. We didn't really have any explosive plays, no passes down the field, no long runs to really get anything going. Um, but that was not the case on Saturday no, against yeah. UAB. They made a conscientious effort, UAB did, to stop our run game and <laughs> – Frustratingly so, I think they did a good job. I mean, you look at the stats, and we rushed for 163, but we only averaged 4.3 yards per carry um, against a Conference USA opponent. I know UAB was, I mean, they're not your typical Conference USA team. They're a team that no one really wants to play because they're actually a pretty decent program. They run a really, they run a really, have a really good football team there in Birmingham. So, but the fact that we were only able to average 4.3 yards on the ground with our stable of running backs and the O-line that we should have up front. We never really got any solid push. I mean, their defensive linemen were able to stalemate our offensive linemen, even on double teams. So it's something we definitely need to 
make a conscientious effort to fix as we move closer and deeper into conference play because it's only going to get tougher. Yeah, I mean, part of it, I haven't went back and watched the film, yeah. uh, but you have to think that they were probably loading the box against us to prepare because we've always yeah. been such a dominant uh a running team, and we didn't exactly give them any reason to think that we were going to have a no. dominant pa- uh, passing uh, yeah. day like we had uh, when they were probably watching our film against Clemson. And I do think that it would have been a different game plan on their part had JT been able to play. I think had JT been able to play, we would have known that we had a proven passer in the under center. Um, they would have known that they had to play a little bit more balanced, so they wouldn't have been able to load it up. Obviously, Touching on that, um, we had a different quarterback under center than what we had against Clemson. Um, JT, a little bit banged up, had a sore oblique. Probably could have played. He was on the field in pregame taking snaps. He was on the field in pregame. Well, yeah, th- apparently it was, a, it was an injury that yeah. he had prior to Clemson. Yeah. So you can tell like if it was a meaningful game, he would have been out and Kirby, there. And Kirby said that he was cleared to play. It wasn't like he – I mean, if it was – an SEC opponent. I think if we were playing South Carolina last week, we he probably would have played. Um, but I mean, it it really helps us that we have a mature and seasoned quarterback with Stetson getting all that playing time he did last season, and it really showed. I mean, he was calm, he was composed, he was making big plays down the field. Yeah, um, what do you think about Stetson getting the start over Carson? That was kind of the big thing going into the week. I mean, Stet or Carson had been the number two guy throughout. All yeah. of camp, uh, and every single practice, uh, from what we had heard, according to all the practice yeah. reports, then all of a sudden, I think around Wednesday, you start getting whispers that Stetson might be the guy suiting up on Saturday. What would you make of that? It was really shocking to me. I mean, everything that we've read and we've heard about all offseason was just how good Carson Beck looks backing up looks backing up JT. I mean, he has a big, strong arm. He can stretch the field vertically. I thought that Carson Beck was going to be the guy, but I mean, like you said, last late last week we started hearing more and more stuff about Stetson, and I think it has a lot to do with the respect. I mean, I know people talk a lot about every single time we play a game against these guys that we know we're going to beat by fifty. The first thing that comes out of Mount, the Kirby Smart's mouth in every press conference, he's got a lot of respect for these guys. It's a cliche at this point, but I mean, it was true in this case. I mean, people don't like playing UAB. Um, so the fact that we were playing a team like UAB, I think, made a big was a big reason in wanting to go with Stetson. He has experience in SEC games, so against a team that we know is a good program, I know I can understand the idea of wanting to play the season guy. Well, and I mean, I mean the results backed him up. Yeah, if I mean, you look at the day that Stetson had, and yeah. then you look at the day that Carson had, it seems like yeah. they made the right decision. I mean, Stetson on the day was. 10 of 12, 288, and five touchdowns. He averaged 24 yards per attempt. I mean, he's stri- Always a good day when you have three more touchdowns than you do in completions. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, he, he tied the UGA record with five touchdowns. I mean, the UGA record for touchdown passes in a game is five. It's been done on multiple occasions. Um, David Green did it. Matthew Stafford did it. Aaron Murray did it on an occasion. Those are three of the all-time greatest quarterbacks in UGA history, and now here is... Stetson Bennett I know for me in section 103 I was cheering like crazy for Stetson Bennett to get number six I mean imagine the trivia question 25 years from now who holds the record for most touchdown passes in a game I guarantee you that most people wouldn't say Stetson Bennett but it's true he would still be tied for the right answer now yeah but I mean and you another thing you love to see is just the distribution of the passes that were 
being caught. I mean, we've t- we touched on it last week against Clemson. Brock Bowers. I mean, 89-yard reception from your tight end. And that dude was Outrunning moving. safeties who had great Absolutely angles moving yeah. down the sideline. Jermaine Burton, 92 yards on three catches. He looked a lot healthier. Uh, Arian Smith, we touched on how explosive he can be. One catch, 61 yards, and a touchdown. Donnie Mitchell, Vlad McConkey, Justin Robinson, Jalen Johnson, all got in on the action. Nine different guys on I mean, the it's, it's, it's very encouraging to see us spreading the ball around. We talked about it all offseason, the amount of playmakers that we're going to have on the offensive side of the ball. So just seeing it come to fruition on Saturday. And more coming back and getting closer to being healthy and the fact yeah. that we're one game closer to getting George. Mm-hmm. Uh, that still probably won't happen until closer to the end of the season. Kyrus. One game closer to Kyrus. One mm-hmm. game closer to Darnell. Yeah. So it's exciting to have guys who are playing uh, stepping up while these other guys who are on the sideline are yeah. getting closer to playing. One thing I do want to touch on, um, we've seen a lot of chatter on social media some just in the general media from actual analysts, analysts calling the game, cough, cough, or Robert Griffin III. Yeah, you you weren't unfortunate enough to, have to no, hear that. No, thankfully but, yeah. being in the stands, you don't have to hear the poor commentary. But um, we've seen a lot of people trying to create a quarterback controversy. People saying, oh, Stetson Bennett looked so great against UAB throwing for five touchdowns. Um, is he better than JT Daniels? JT Daniels didn't particularly play the greatest game against Clemson. Clemson. Um, people are saying, like, maybe Stetson Bennett should be the guy. Um, just give me your thoughts on that. I mean, I, for one, think it's just outrageous. It's well, yeah, blasphemy. It, just, it sucks that we even have to do it again. Because, yes. I mean, you'd think that we would be tired of QB controversy, but apparently we've just gotten it into our veins at this point to where we crave it. We it's, feel like we're lacking if we don't have it's it. It's not a Georgia football season without a quarterback controversy. Love Stetson to death, but let's look at the facts. Last year, played the bulk. He played in eight different games, but only a couple of snaps in two of those, so mostly six games. Was 86 for 155 for a 55% completion rate. Below average. 1,200 yards in six games, so about 200 yards a game. Eight touchdowns, six interceptions. Awful ratio. And probably had 137 balls batted down at the line of scrimmage. Uh-huh. And uh, a million missed, uh, missed deep balls. Uh, so, and then you want to look at JT stats in four different games. Was 80 for 119. 67.2% completion rate, 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns versus two interceptions. So completely different stat lines, similar yardage, playing two different games, more touchdowns, less interceptions, better completion percentage. And so someone might contend and talk about uh, the opponents, though. So if you go by DFEI, which is a pretty reliable statistic as far as defenses go, uh, here were the teams that Stetson played against uh, last year. Alabama, Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, and Arkansas. Alabama was 21 in DFEI, uh, Florida 55, Kentucky 45, Tennessee 66, Auburn 75, Arkansas 99. So it gives you an average of 60.17. According to the statistics overall for 2020, that have the average opponent looking like a UCLA or Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So... JT, on the other hand, played against Mississippi State, which was 38, South Carolina, 109, Missouri, 104, and Cincinnati, who was actually the second-best 
team in this statistic overall for the entire year of 2020. I know they were missing a couple of guys uh, in that game, but that doesn't Overall, that still was an amazing defense and one of the best defenses that we played the entire season. Uh, that brought the average out for them uh, to 63.25. Mm-hmm. So only a couple of slots different, and it made it similar to uh, an NC State level opponent. Uh, so he had significantly better stats in four games against similar competition, and he looked for deep and explosive plays often. So let me just give you this. We had arguably the best wide receiver not named Devontae Smith, on our team last year in George Pickens. In the six games that he played with Stetson, he had 13 catches for 140 yards and two touchdowns. That's one good game for any other elite receiver. With JT, George had 23 catches for 373 yards and four touchdowns in four games. And then with Burton... Uh, Stetson had thrown to him 10 times for 130 yards and one touchdown, once again in six games. And then Burton, with JT, had 70 catches for 274 yards and two touchdowns in four games. Those are our two most explosive playmakers, and JT made sure to throw the ball to them early and often, always looking for the explosive play, which was something that Stetson hardly ever did. Love him to death, but he just never really did that. And when he tried to, he consistently overthrew the ball or underthrew it, he was never accurate. And he's also just, JT is just taller and more suited for the game. I'm an extremely short guy. So it pains me to say that height matters in this case, but it absolutely does. If you're not going to throw through passing lanes and your balls are going to constantly get batted down, then it matters how tall you are. And so get the narrative out of the way. JT had one bad game against Clemson, the second best defensive front in the entire country. Stetson had one good game against the Conference USA team, and we're not going to change an entire season's worth of results and statistics over one marginal game in each guy's column. Yeah, it just it absolutely seems seems crazy to me that people would even entertain the thought. Uh, hopefully, it's just a few wacky fans. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't think any logical person inside the Georgia fan base inside the Georgia coaching office could could even begin to think that JT Daniels won't be the starter when he's 100% ready to go. Yeah, and that's not that's and none of that that I just said was Stetson hate. Love the dude to death. But when you're one of the elite five teams in the country, it's just for a player of his caliber, he yeah. just doesn't fit into that mold. You have to have to be an elite program, you have to have an elite QB. It com- it comes to the, it com- it just comes down to this: Can you win every game on our schedule with Stetson Bennett as your quarterback? I think looking at our schedule, I think we could probably win every single one, no doubt. Maybe not Florida with Stetson. Can you beat Alabama with Stetson as your quarterback? Can you beat Oklahoma with Stetson as your quarterback? Can you beat Oregon? Big win against Ohio State. Those type of teams. That you need explosive offenses. You need downfield shots. You need people who can... With Stetson as our QB, we almost lost to Kentucky last year. Yeah. (laughs) So, forget those other big guys. We almost lost to Kentucky. We barely threw any passes when he was our QB. He just... He held us back. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. And JT has propelled us. We were throwing the ball more than ever with him. So, I'm excited for him to come back. I hope he comes back this week. 
has an explosive game and quickly just yeah. diverts our attention away from this. Yeah, we need him to come back, throw for 300 yards, a couple touchdowns, and silence everyone who's been crit- criticizing him. And just have some of those amazing, accurate, like, deep balls that he was having last year against, like, Mississippi State and Missouri. Because that's really, when it comes down to people want to degrade the competition that JT played last year, when you just look at the accuracy on his balls, it doesn't matter what level of competition that you're playing. Accuracy is accuracy. You can be thrown against air. And just in that regard, JT just, I think, is miles better. Yeah, I agree. But I think that's, I mean, I think that's enough talk on that i think it's an outrageous claim that people could even entertain well i think it probably got started because like i said rg3 was on the broadcast and uh you can tell he's new in there and that's probably an easy thing to for someone who's a newcomer to kind of get into ease is to kind of talk about the qb which is the most popular position on the team i mean in the position he played and to kind of stir up controversy i think that probably was uh felt like a good way for him to break in and it was probably uh, pretty easy. And I just don't know how many – he didn't seem like he knew our team extremely well. Yeah. So he probably didn't want to branch out too much on some of the other players. And I think, you know, some fans hear the commentary and uh, they might not do enough research to really form their own opinions on mm-hmm. things. So they're listening to this guy who they know is a Heisman QB say these things, and they're like, oh, maybe he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like you said, I think it's – it was probably started because of the broadcast, and I mean announcers. They, and, and they have an amazing day, and sets an amazing day. They have to come helps. up with a, they have to come up with a storyline, and I th- I think that's all it is is just them trying to get the necessary things to talk about during the blowout. Yeah, it's probably hard. Yeah. It's yeah. probably hard to to commentate a game that a team is up by fifty. And they were just looking for talking points. I will say this, though. I do think that Stetson probably did solidify himself as the number two guy on the roster. I would uh, I would agree with that claim, yeah. And I would hope so. I mean, because Carson did not seem to have the game that we would have expected against no. that level of an opponent. Uh, like um, I said, their only touchdown of the day being scored on his pick six. Uh, I think he was 4 of 10 on the day for only 88 yards. Uh, you know, I mean, he will have much better days, but... Uh, and it can kind of hurt for recruiting sometimes when you have a guy like him lined up and he never gets the chance to play. But I really I don't know that he will be the quarterback next year. I, no. I, it would not surprise me one bit if it goes if Brock bypasses him, and then it's Gunner coming in right after. I wish we'd really take <laughs> we'd do an every other year thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, rather than getting a a stud every single year, I think it's more beneficial in the long run. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, but to kind of close the book on the UAB Blazers, I loved seeing the downfield passing attack. We knew that they were going to come in and stop the run, and we showed that we could be explosive on offense. Um, we still played dominating defense, um, this time in a different facet. Secondary's growing up. playing. They're playing more man-to-man coverage. I, I really, really, really – because in years past, this is the type of game – coming off a big win that Georgia could sleepwalk in. Um, you look at past examples. 2014, we beat Clemson in the season opener. Todd Gurley kickstarts what could have been a Heisman campaign. What happens the next week? We lose to South Carolina. Um, Nichols State, we almost lost to them a noon game in Sanford Stadium. The year, the Tennessee Hail Mary that same year, 
the next week, noon kickoff against Vandy, we lose. I mean, these are the types of games at coming off a big win that in years past, Georgia tends to sleepwalk in. Well, and historically, I think also there can be a narrative behind Georgia that we take our foot off the gas in these yeah. types of games, whereas someone might not think that in this game when really I think what the difference is, we did the exact same thing that we've done in the past when we put it in the, we put in the second string relatively early. I just think we have that much more depth than what we did in the past mm-hmm. to where our second stringers are still that much better than the yeah. starters for these types I of agree. things. It seems. I don't think we're playing any differently as far as like style goes or letting or putting our foot more or less on the gas. I think it's just the depth on the team yeah. being much more improved. That's a good point. I mean, it likely is, but it's definitely – I was proud to see that from the very – beginning of that game you said it second play of the game we were off to the races i mean we never took our foot off the gas it was full throttle the entire time and it was a nice 56 to 7 win to move into conference play but one last little thing on it uh just a statistic to watch i think we've so we've touched on how dominant uh the pass rush has been so far we've we also held uab to 111 uh on third downs and against clemson uh, I believe we were, uh, they were five of sixteen. So, so far in the year, our defense is six. Uh, or they've held the offenses to six uh, twenty-seven on third down conversions, and I think that's a really dominant statistic for a really dominant defense. Yeah, and I think it will improve. So that's like one out of every like close to five times uh, are, is the opposing team converting on third down. For me, I would think that that's probably the most telling stat in a dominant defense is how you perform on third down. I mean, and you have to think it's probably because of how dominant our pass rush has been that other teams uh, are facing third and longs. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I would just like to keep an eye on that throughout the season because I think that might end up being uh, a continual trend as yeah. the season progresses. Absolutely. But – um, so let's wrap up that game and move into this upcoming Saturday's matchup. Obviously, Lee touched on it. It's the SEC opener. Um, it's Sanford Stadium, 7 o'clock kick. Uh, me and you will both be in attendance for this week's game. Yes, sir. Super excited to be back in Sanford Stadium and be back under the lights. Um, a night game in Sanford Stadium is, is always a good time. Yeah, it's good but, as it gets. So just looking at South Carolina on the season so far, they're 2-0. and um, Two wins coming against Eastern Illinois. Um, they beat them 46-0, to zero, um, and they beat Eastern Carolina on a last-second field goal 20-17, but they were actually the underdog in that game. And I think in that game, I think South Carolina turned it over like three or four times. They turned it over three times. I think they were all in the first half. So to take away those three um, t- turnovers, I think UAB scored a touchdown on one and a field goal on one. South Carolina probably could have won that game much more convincingly than 20-17, to 17, but nevertheless, t- uh, turnovers are part of the game. UGA, um, obviously South Carolina, they're one of our rivals. I wouldn't call them a huge I rival. Say, but yeah, I would say once Spurrier came along that they've become like one of our bigger rivals. Yeah, absolutely. But in years past, I mean, UGA's won five of six, just running through them really quickly. Um, in 2015, we beat them 52-20. to 20. A la the Grayson Lambert game. Oh, yeah. We, held, in, like, we held him as the savior. Records, yeah. Little did we know. Um, 2016, 2014, um, 2017, we were the number one team in the country, and they actually gave us a very competitive game in Athens, 24 to 10. 2018, the Debo Samuel game. Obviously, they were the darling pick all summer. Um, they were actually 
picked by a lot of people to beat us, 41 to 17. And then the double overtime loss in 2019, they came into Athens in one of the games we slept walk in. Um, they beat us. And then last year, obviously, the 45 to 16 beat down in Columbia. It was uh, JT's second start, first start on the road. So, but before that, I mean, earlier in this decade, Spurrier had a lot of success against us. So it, it wasn't too long ago that they were a very frustrating team for Georgia to play. Every now and again, they'll get up for us. I mean, a lot of people talk about it as little brother, big brother. I mean, we are the obviously the dominant team in this rivalry, owning the all-time record, 52-19. to 19. But, I mean, they're usually a, a tough team for us to play. I do think, you know, when you're the dominant team in a division or yeah. even in a conference, that you do get treated like the other team's Super Bowl. Uh, they've probably got your uh, game circled from the uh, – when the season first comes out. Yeah. And so I do think that when we play teams like Missouri and Kentucky and South Carolina, that we get their best punch uh, because they've been preparing for that game all season. Yeah, and it, I feel like this one was always bigger too because it always felt like their head coaches were taking shots at us even though, I mean, we tend to beat them more often than not. I mean, Steve Spurrier, we don't have to get into it talking about us. I mean, the comments that he would always make every single year – that he liked playing Georgia early in the season because he knew we were always going to have one or two guys get suspended. Um, Will Muschamp, who, funny, funnily enough, is now on our staff talks, talking about where he had gotten his undergrad degree from as if we're not the, a top 20 institution, public institution in the country. And he is the coach at South Carolina, but let's, we won't get into that. Yeah, we'll just talk about <laughs> that as a joke. But... They're, they do that. They do have some playmakers. Um, they have Zach Pickens and Jordan Birch on the defensive line. Both were five-star defensive linemen. Both were guys that Georgia really, really, really wanted. Um, and obviously, South Carolina winning those head-to-head recruiting battles against us. Or I mean, they don't happen often, but those two guys were definite wins for South Carolina. Um, they have Kevin Harris. He is the SEC's leading returning rusher from last season. He started his first game of the season after missing the opener against Eastern or Eastern Carolina last week, and had seven carries for 100 for 33 yards. Sorry, um, obviously in 2020 he ran for 1138 yards in 10 games. That's a 6.2 yards per carry average. That's very impressive. I mean that's a legit number in a tough conference. They're probably going to get their preseason expected starter back for this game, Luke Doty. Um, started a couple games last year for South Carolina, threw for 405 yards and two touchdowns. I think the most dangerous thing about him, though, is he is a dual threat. Yeah, definitely. Um, ran for 60 yards against uh, Missouri last year, 30 yards against Kentucky. So he's definitely somebody who will hurt you with his feet. Um, the Other than that, though, their other quarterback from Watkinsville, Georgia, actually went to Oconee County High School, so right there in UGA's backyard. So you know if he plays, he's probably going to be up for it. And it's actually a pretty interesting story. South Carolina hired Zeb Noland, who has started their first two games. He was actually hired as a graduate assistant coach for South Carolina, but due to Doty's injury in the preseason and a couple of other injuries to their quarterback depth, they actually had to play Noland on their active roster. So he, he was hired as a GA to coach. But due to so many injuries, actually had to become the starter this year and has actually played pretty well so far. He's thrown for 335 yards, 
five touchdowns and only one interception. So that's I mean yeah. that's decent numbers. But but yeah, from what I, everything I have heard is that Doty uh, yeah. should be the guy. Shane Beamer said he should be fully healthy uh, for this weekend's matchup. But and Doty threw for 180 on us last year. Harris ran for 53. Um, I don't think that it is going to be that much of a battle. Uh, no. This was a South Carolina team that went two and eight last year, mm-hmm. with their two wins being against Vandy. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. Uh, and Auburn uh, with with the surprise upset uh, when they won that game, 30 to 22. But other than that, they lost Tennessee, Florida, um, LSU, A and M, Ole Miss, Missouri, Georgia, Kentucky. Um, I do think Shane Beamer is a good head coach, so I do think that they're going to be improved this year. Yeah. Uh, but maybe they'll be improved and they'll beat Tennessee, put up good fights against yeah. Missouri. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I definitely think that the talent in this matchup significantly swings Georgia. I mean, that's it's, it's obvious if you look at it on tape, if you look at it on just on paper. We should win this game very, very convincingly. And one of the big reasons that I feel that way is the play of South Carolina's offensive line so far this season. Pro football focus, um, every single week they do grades over each pretty much team's performance every week. South Carolina is currently 14 out of 14 in SEC pass blocking efficiency out of their offensive line. As we've seen so far for Georgia on their defense, we have guys that can absolutely get after it up front. Jordan Davis, Adam Anderson, Trayvon Walker, Jalen Carter. All those guys just love to pin their ears back and go get the quarterback. It's not a good recipe for success when you can't block guys up front, especially coming against what I think is the best defensive line in the country that we have on our side of the ball. Within a great you know, a group of linebackers yeah. for Doty, who, like we said, is a dual threat. We can definitely have a spy on him throughout the game. Yeah. And guys, like, same with our defensive line, those linebackers will pull their ears back and just absolutely get after it. Yeah. And I, I think that it would not surprise me if we had at least five sacks on the day. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be a long, long night for South Carolina's offense. I think our – our offense on our side of the ball continues to play explosively. I'm hoping we get JT back. He can take some downfield shots. We commit ourselves to the run, hopefully get some explosive plays on the ground. Um, I, that's, that's the one thing we haven't really seen yet yeah. is explosive plays on the ground. Yeah. And, you know, it was encouraging that we had explosive plays against UAB, even though it was UAB, because if you don't have explosive plays against them – then who are you going to have them against? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so hopefully the trend does continue with South Carolina. Hopefully, like you said, we finally break off some explosive runs because mm-hmm. uh, that has been the one thing that our offense uh, has been missing so far. Yeah, I think that's my the big thing I'm going to be looking for on Saturday night is the play of our offensive line against their defensive line. How can how how successful can Georgia be in getting to the second level, getting some linemen on linebackers, which allow open running lanes. Um, hopefully Zamir, Kenny, Kendall, James, hopefully those guys can just run all night long. If they're running the ball well, it's going to open up our passing game. It's going to help us become a more complete offense. Um, but just saying, free, free Kenny. saying all of those things, we, we've touched on it. We've won five of the last six matchups, all of them pretty convincingly besides the double overtime fluke in 2019. I don't see it going any other way. 
I think we're now on FanDuel. We're favored by 30.5 points. I don't think it's going to be too difficult for Georgia to cover that spread. I see us beating them pretty convincingly on Saturday night and covering the 30.5. I probably see it somewhat within like 45 to 10, 45, I mean, something in that range. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I don't know how much of a better team South Carolina is than UAB. I mean, no. Like we had, we had kind of talked up UAB and how formidable of an opponent they are. Just to kind of give some reality to that, they beat Jacksonville State 31 to nothing. Jacksonville State just pulled an upset against Florida mm-hmm. State this past weekend. And I just don't know how much of a difference there is between Florida State and South Carolina. No. Uh, so I really think that they're a, a similar opponent, and I just think that there's a vast discrepancy in talent. Uh, I think we will easily cover – I think the second string will be in in the fourth quarter. Um, I think it'll be – I expect it to be a pretty dominant performance. Yeah, absolutely. So, obviously, we're both taking UGA to cover, cover big, get a big win, opening up conference play, moving into next week. Um, one thing I do want to touch on before we get into our SEC picks against the spread, um, some good things happening on the scheduling front for Georgia – Obviously, Arkansas beating Texas, Kentucky starting off really good. Probably going to be undefeated when they play us. Just looking at their schedule, um, all those people and Missouri looked good. In a and loss. Missouri looked good in a loss against Kentucky, who is a good team. All those people that were talking about how Georgia had a cupcake schedule. Um, if Auburn goes into Penn State on Saturday night and can pull off an upset, upset, they're probably going to be a top fifteen team when they come when we go to Auburn in uh, mid October. So. All those cupcake comments that we've been hearing all season. Oh, look at Georgia's schedule. Look at Georgia's schedule. Well, suddenly the conversations are getting quieter. Um, Arkansas is now ranked in the AP poll. Auburn's ranked in the AP poll. Kentucky's getting votes in the AP poll, if not ranked. Um, Florida, obviously, they've got a big matchup against Alabama on Saturday. If they can just look competent against that, we know Florida's going to be a good team. I think all the, the scheduling conversations are starting to go away it's looking like Georgia has some more quality wins down the road if we can continue to yeah, play well. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, so that should be encouraging and uh, I don't want to say frightening, but just we can't look ahead of those opponents. No. Uh, what we thought it looked like a cupcake schedule too. I think these yeah. team. I, I was pretty high on Missouri going into the season, uh, and I think Kentucky looked very good. Yeah. Uh, so now those games that were looking easy on our – We've been pretty much penciling in every game ahead of Florida, and that might not be the case. No, it's just something to look forward to as a Georgia fan. And Um, it's exciting to have good games. Yeah, because, I mean, we want to have – we want to play good opponents. We want to have ranked ranked matchups. We want to have those good games, and it's encouraging to see that some of the games that we thought may not have been so good may turn out in the opposite fashion. But nevertheless, uh, let's get into our picks against the spread this week. And particularly Arkansas. I mean, they gave us a good – first half last year uh, yeah and they've only gotten better mm-hmm. their defense looks dominant this past weekend i'm really excited for that game absolutely but yeah like you said so let's get into the picks for this week last week was pretty rough yes it <laughs> for was both of us we both went seven and three the first week because uh, we picked the exact same games so uh so this past week i went three and six <laughs> and you went four and five uh you got the pit game right that i got wrong uh we both got the Texas-Arkansas game wrong. I thought uh, I was expecting te- Texas to look a lot better than they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
we both got Mississippi State wrong. Uh, they rebounded with their win against NC State. Uh, you got Kentucky right, but I got uh, I had picked Missouri. Uh, we both got the Vandy game wrong because they won outright, uh, and uh, you had picked Florida to cover, uh, which they, I did not, and they they didn't, uh, and we both uh, messed up pretty badly on that A and M game. That yes. was way closer than we expected. It helped that the, you know their quarterback got hurt yeah. in the first quarter, but still much closer than what we would have ever expected. Yeah. So this week, uh, the first game, obviously we already touched on, Georgia, South Carolina coming to play. We're favored by 30 and a half. Uh, we both think that they're going to cover. Next game, it's New Mexico at A&M. Uh, A&M is favored by 28. And maybe just to carry over a little vengeance for what they did to me last week, I'm actually going to pick New Mexico to cover on that. Yeah. So. Uh, I think this is more telling of what I think of New Mexico rather than what A and M has played with so far, but I'm gonna still stick with the Aggies. I think A and M is gonna cover 28. Okay, and then next we probably got what's gonna be the best game in the SEC uh, this weekend: Alabama at Florida. Uh, Alabama's coming in as a 15 and a half uh, favorite mm-hmm. in this. Me and you have learned a lesson from our two years in doing this: um, just that you don't ever pick against Bama, even if you're ahead tells you to you just don't do it and so i'm not going to uh i want to i'm going to say say that uh, bama easily covers that yeah i'm going to do the same thing like you touched on i've learned from doing this time and time again that i mean no matter what pick bama they're going to cover so i'm going to stick with bama um next up we got miss state at memphis um mississippi state is favored by three points at memphis um, we were both we both picked NC State last week against Mississippi State because of what Mississippi State looked like in Week One. Um, so, kind of going off our same train of thought last week. <laughs> yeah, I'm, they I'm, looked good last week. I'm so. going to pick Mississippi State this week because they looked good last week. Can yeah. they put two good weeks together? Um, I hope so. So I'm going to pick Mississippi State to cover the three points. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I'm going to pick Mississippi State as well. Uh, Next game on the docket is uh, Georgia Southern at Arkansas. Touched on it a little bit already. Arkansas looked absolutely dominant against Texas yeah. uh, this past weekend on offense and defense. Um, and I think uh, it's going to be too much to handle for Georgia Southern. I think Arkansas is going to actually win by 30-plus. Yeah, past, uh, this yeah Sam Pittman's doing a great job at Arkansas. The players that absolutely have bought in, um, yeah, love to see it. So I'm taking Arkansas. I think they're going to win big. So next up, we've got Auburn at Penn State. It's where College Game Day is going to be. It's ABC primetime, Penn State, a whiteout, arguably probably the best scene in college football when they do that. Um, Penn State is favored by six points at home against the Tigers. I've went back and forth on this one. Auburn really hasn't played anybody yet. Penn State has a win on the road against Wisconsin. Who we but, think is a good team. Who we think is a good team. We don't really know yet. Historically, they're typically a good team. I'm going to go with the SEC team. I'm going to go with Auburn to cover. I don't know quite yet if I think they're going to win outright, but that's what we're do- That's not what we're doing here. We just think that they're going to cover the six. Six just seems like seems a little high to me. I, I definitely I actually think that Penn State might win, mm-hmm. uh, but six just seems a little high. 
Uh, so I'm going to go with Auburn. Yeah, just a little bit more. Auburn's formula that they're going to want to play is a good way to win on the road. They have Tank Bigsby. They have a good offensive line. They have a good defense. If you're going to win a game on the road in a hostile environment, you need those things. That's my that's my train of thought. So I'm going to go Auburn. But next up, we've got Central Michigan at LSU. LSU's favored by 20, and I don't really like the pick. LSU hasn't looked great. UCLA beat the brakes off of them in, in the Rose Bowl. Um, they didn't really look particularly good against McNeese State last week. I think they are only up like 17 at halftime, and I don't even know where McNeese State is. So I am going to pick LSU to cover the 20, but if you were a betting person and you were actually going to spend real money on this, I would stay far away from that. Yeah, LSU, I mean, at the beginning of the season, they were actually getting talked about again as being a – uh, a team that would have a chance at the number two spot in the West. Yeah. Uh, maybe even maybe more realistically, the number three spot. I think most people had Bama as the number one, A and M following them up, but no one really knew who that third team was going to be to step up and be the third best team in the uh, in that division. I think it's safe to say it's not going to be LSU. No. Looks like it's going to be uh, either Ole Miss or Arkansas. I think the better bet for LSU it would be is Coach O going to survive the season yeah. for me. So uh, I did not. I mean, obviously, did not look good against uh, UCLA a couple of weeks ago. I barely had it on their game this past weekend. Wasn't that impressed. I'm actually going to uh, say that uh, Central Michigan covers this. Okay. So, so next up, we've got my. Absolute 100% lock of the week. Put all your money on this. It's going to happen. Stanford minus 11 at Vandy. Vandy is, I mean, they're they're the worst team in the SEC. Uh, we don't even have to sugarcoat it. They beat Colorado State on the road on Saturday night. I, I, I don't even know anything about Colorado State. I'm not going to sit here and act like I do. Stanford beat what we think is a good US, USC team. I know USC just fired their coach today, so still to be determined there but the way Stanford played I don't think there's any chance that Vanderbilt has a chance in this game Stanford minus 11 lock it in absolutely 100% yeah and I'm not even going to add that much more I'm in agreement Stanford yeah okay and the last game we got is uh, Tulane at Ole Miss Tulane who same team that gave Oklahoma a very close game in uh, the first game of the season Uh, and Ole Miss who's uh, who looked great uh, so far this season as well. I actually think that Ole Miss is going to cover this spread. It's 14 points. I don't think I mentioned that. Uh, what, do, what do you think? Yeah, I'm the same way. I think Ole Miss minus 14. I think Tulane almost beating Oklahoma on the road will probably help think, Ole Miss's yeah. cause. I think that'll, that'll prove to be pretty fluky. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of fluky stuff happens the first week of the season. Yeah. I think that was a little fluky. Ole Miss is going to be focused to make sure that that doesn't happen to them. Matt Corral, big day. Ole Miss minus 14, I'm taking it. So, But that's going to do it for our picks this week, and that's going to do it for this week's episode of Between the Mics. Please continue to listen, like, subscribe, share it with everyone you know. Um, continue to support. I mean, we've received some really good feedback so far from people who are listening, so the, all the people who listen, all the people who are letting us know that they're listening, it's very much appreciated. So thank you. Yeah. All but, right. Go dogs. Absolutely. Go dogs.